Welcome. Let's join best-selling author Fred Kuhn as he interviews our next guest expert. Welcome, everybody. We're glad to have you as a guest today on the U.S. at Work. Our guest today, we're continuing with Tom Wolf. Tom is a recognized expert in the field of military to civilian transition. He was a senior partner with Career Development Corporation. Tom graduated from the U.S. Naval Academy. He has published in Military.com, Civilian Job News, Stars and Stripes, GI Jobs, TA Online, and Veterans of Modern Warfare. This is the second in his four series of four on hands-on, what do you do if you're thinking of getting out as a service member. Tom Wolf, welcome to the U.S. at Work. Fred, thank you so much for having me back. I've been looking forward to today's session. So we reviewed in our last session in podcast number 324, we reviewed preparation, timing, self-knowledge, needs versus wants, and the very important filters and learning how to distinguish between I and we. Today, what are we going to talk about, Tom, in the next steps of events that should occur in the transition of a service member? Fred, I I recommend that we uh, discuss a couple of things that are important. Many people coming out of the military do not understand the difference between a paycheck in the civilian world, at least the the for-profit civilian world, and a paycheck in the military. So I think that's worth some time. Secondly, I think we should spend some time on what I call interviewing empathy. Very important factor when it comes to successful interviewing. One of my other themes throughout my book and throughout my coaching practice is what I call the power of questions. And if we have time, I'd like to discuss what I call creating the vision, which is really, it's a shortcut definition of how to successfully interview for a job. Okay, let's start with the dollars, attendance, value added, and I'll have a little piece on value added as well. So let her rip, Tom Wolf. Thank you, Fred. In the military, and, and I don't mean this to sound snarky, but I know it sometimes it does, but in the military, primarily you get paid because of attendance, not performance. Your paycheck is based upon time in service, time in grade. Now, sometimes, On top of that, there will be proficiency pay. Individuals that fly airplanes and drive submarines and go into combat, they get additional money. And there are also retention bonuses that get paid out in some of the critical disciplines, perhaps, in which the military is having trouble retaining people. But when you add all that together, it still doesn't matter whether you are the number one captain in the squadron or you're the number 10 captain in the squadron, you're going to get the same paycheck. That's not a bad thing. That's just how the military works. That's how government in general tends to work in terms of paychecks. Now, in the for-profit business world, what's important is a paycheck is not a measuring stick of how long have you worked here. It's supposed to be a measuring stick of what value are you adding to this organization? Now, here's where it gets tricky, Fred. Let's take someone who just spent 20 years in the military. He or she retires. He or she retires at a, let's just throw a number out there, at $140,000 a year, and they go to work for ABC Company. An ABC Company, in this example, is not a defense contractor. It's not a government agency. How can you possibly be worth 
the same amount of money to a new employer on day one as you were to your previous employer on day last. Now, that's a bit of an overstatement, but I put it out there because I think it allows people to understand that when you are being paid by a for-profit commercial entity, the paycheck that they're giving you is actually, it's not a value, not a measure of the value you have added. It's a measure of the value that they expect you will add between now and the next review period. So you are selling your potential to do well in addition to selling the relevant experience that may or may not be relevant to the new job. Let me add a thought in here if I could. I say the same thing to executives, those non-service members, the ones that come to us for assistance. And one of the things that I tell them is take your base salary. You and I talked about this the other day, Tom. Take your base salary. Multiply it by 25 or 30%, whatever you think the benefits package is for that company. Add those two numbers together. That becomes a cost basis. The company is going to expend that amount of money on you the day you enter the, the door, and then one year later, that's what they will have spent. So in not addition to travel, meals, all that other stuff that goes along with, with position support. So take that basic cost basis and say to yourself, If I walk in the door to a company and I convince that I'm only worth dollar-for-dollar investment, what am I worth to the company? Versus the person who walks in the door and they perceive a 10 times return, either top or bottom line combination, on that initial cost basis investment. Who has the greater value add? Obviously, the person who can produce and show that demonstrate that they are 10 times more effective than the next applicant. That's the only way you're going to get an offer is to have the best value add proposition and know how to present that, which we'll get into in other other podcasts here. And one another angle to take a look. What if, Fred, you went to work for a company and every day you made contribution and every day they paid you for that contribution and that went on day after day after day? That means that your value to that company is solely based upon what you give them that day, which means on any given day, you're even. And if you're even, then they don't really need you around tomorrow. But to your point, what if every day they were spending more money on you than they were paying? you? What if they were investing in you beyond your paycheck? What if they thought that your ability to add value was factors more than simply what you're bringing in the door on day one? Now, every day, you're not even. Every day, that company is invested more in you, perhaps even more than you've invested in them. So it all ties together in a nice little package. That's right. You've got to prove to someone that you can continue to support their goals and do that through performance and that your performance, at least in the interview process, your performance has got to be demonstrably better than your competition. You don't go out on a battlefield and touch tank barrels with the other guy and say, what a good boy am I. You're out there to blow that other tank off the field. And therefore, it's got to be an elimination of competition. And the only way you can do that is to to show value, your value-add proposition. Your word demonstratively, I love it, and here's why. Adding value in and of itself is not good enough. The value that you add has to be visible, measurable, and attributable. Because if you're adding value and nobody knows, and if you do not have the ability, as we discussed earlier, 
to be able to, in certain situations, emphasize the I versus the we, then it's awful right. hard for you to make the case that the value added is actually attributable to you. I see this all the time with civilian executives. They do a great job. They're wonderful at what they do. They don't document any of it. So they come to me and say, well, all I did was, well, no, you did. You did this. And after we begin to do the probe and understand the value of what they have brought to these companies, document what I'm saying. Every day you do something nice. Every time somebody says, boy," <laughs> document it. And if they say the other, <laughs> then figure out why they did that and fix it. And that way you've got a, a, where you failed but overcame. I mean, this is all part of your own dossier of your career. And that's so important as you begin to establish value. Yes, sir, it is. I think we've got it value pretty well nailed down from that point of view. Let's talk about you understand your value. You have your statements of value pretty well nailed down. You've got a pretty good one-minute interview that covers some things you've got. So let's talk about interviewing. And you always use the term interviewing empathy. What do you mean by that, Tom Wolf? We can, human beings by nature tend to be selfish. We do care about what matters to us, as we should. As we've discussed today and more thoroughly in the previous podcast, the importance of identifying what matters to you. That's all very important. You, you have to do that. But when you go into an interview, in addition to keeping in mind what you care about, you better keep in mind what the interviewer, what the organization that that interviewer represents, what do they care about? What matters to them? What's important to them? What's on their priority list? What are they looking for? What do they care about? Because if you do not take the time to figure out what matters to them, if you don't know what their hot buttons are, how can you possibly demonstrate to them through your interviewing techniques, through the examples that you use, through the stories that you tell, through the attributes that you emphasize, you have to also keep in mind, it's almost like, and this sounds bad, but, but it's actually true, you want to be able to tell the interviewer exactly what he or she wants to hear, but that also happens to be the truth. So if you're telling the interviewer exactly what he or she wants to hear and you're also telling the truth, you are nailing that interview. You are putting that interviewer in a situation where they have to visualize you being successful in that job. In my book, Ready, Aim, Hired, I spend a chapter or two on this very point, Tom Wolf, and that is know what you're going to ask beforehand. Do your homework exactly like you said. Find out what their hot buttons are. Look at their tax filings if you can get them. There, in any records you can get on this company, get them. Figure out what some of their directions are, what their weaknesses are, what their hot buttons are. Structure your questions so that you can ask a question of them because it is a two-way interview. We'll get to that in a bit, I guess. But ask them a question where you already know the answer they're going to give you. And then what you have, you put together your story that answers that need, and you can close on it if you've done that. If you haven't done that, you can't close on it. And every time you close, it's sort of like <laughs> cognitive dissonance. You know, you see the P under the three shells, or you go and see on the street where that's supposed to be the ace of spades and turns up the deuce. That's cognitive dissonance. And what you want to create there is most people coming in to interview will not 
do this. They will not ask the right questions. They will not have them structured, and they won't confirm that they're uh, asked the questions to confirm that their answer is correct. And as a result, they have nothing to hang their hat on during negotiation. They have no way of eliminating competition. That is so important, and I lost count of the number of times that I would ask one of my clients, so are you ready for the Q&A section of your interview? And if they look at me like, I'm, what do you mean? That's all an interview is. It's Q&A. But most people, most interview, most job seekers, most candidates, when you look at their list of questions that they're going to be, uh, they're, they're focused on questions that they're going to answer. There's lots of books out there that say, here's questions you should be ready to answer in an interview. Very mm-hmm. few of those same candidates focus on the questions that they're going to ask. And to the point that you just made, very important point, you don't ask any old question. You ask a question that is designed in addition to getting you an answer. You're also asking that question because it is sending the signal that you have high interest and you've done your homework and you have interviewing empathy. So questions are one of the most powerful tools in your transition toolbox not only because they give you information about this organization so you'll know whether or not you want to work there, but they also allow you to send the proper signal during that evaluation phase. Well, folks, we've spent a wonderful 15 minutes here with Tom Wolf in our continuing series with conversations between Tom and myself about military transition, and uh, it's so important in these days and times. Again, Tom Wolf is an author, columnist, career coach, veteran, Naval Academy graduate, published author, and just a great guy. (laughs) So, Tom, thank you very much for joining the U.S. at Work today, and we'll see you in podcast number 326. Fred Kuhn, it's been my pleasure. Thank you very much, and I look forward to number 326. Thank you for visiting with us. We welcome your comments and suggestions and look forward to having you join us soon at Workplace Strategies.